So the Knicks are at Atlanta to play the Hawks, at the Wizards, at the Hornets, and at the Timberwolves. Those are the four games they have this week. Um, yeah, I, 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 we can talk about them one at a time, or you can just like pick one. Or, but I know you did one of your tremendous threads again um, on Monday um, around the NBA with Frank Barrett. And I think that you just did a great job of highlighting things to look for in each of these games. I don't know if you want to start there or, or, you know, start wherever you want. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a bit OCD. So if it were up to me, we'd start with the Atlanta game. Um, I, I think the Atlanta game is really interesting. The Knicks have already beaten them in Atlanta. So um, they're getting both road games in Atlanta out of the way. Um, I, I just think it's a really interesting matchup overall. Um, because I think the Knicks are just really tough for Atlanta. They offer, they offer solutions to every single one of Atlanta's problems. Like Atlanta comes at you with a two guard attack and DeJounte Murray has been better this season. And Trey Young's honestly, I mean, at some point we're going to have to talk about Trey Young and, and his shooting. And just I, at what point is he just not a good, he has the same career three point shooting percentage as RJ Barrett. Like, and now I'm not stupid. I understand that all three point shooting percentages aren't created equally. One is taking significantly tougher threes and significantly more threes. So I'm not saying that he's been a worse shooter or the same shooter as RJ Barrett in his career, either from an impact standpoint or just who's the better shooter. But there's a pretty large gap in their perceived value as shooters, too. And I don't think that's represented by their output or, excuse me, his output. I, who cares about RJ? You could do this for anybody who's shooting what they're shooting. Like, I'm just using RJ as an example because I know that'll hit home for Knicks fans who have watched these last four seasons. Um, I don't know what Trey Young is as a player if he's not a really good shooter. He's an elite passer, he's got a great floater. Um, and his defense still bad, but it's he's trying a little bit this season. Um, but I just don't think he's elite if he can't hurt you consistently as a shooter. I yeah, I'm I'm glad that you started with that because I uh, it, it, during the we here season for the Knicks uh, uh, when that the Hawks went to the uh, conference finals prior to that playoff run. I went to war with Atlanta Hawks fans about Trey Young, who all thought like who all talked about his shooting. I I was saying that when the Hawks played Philly, I thought Philly would wipe the floor with them because they were just going to go under screen under screens um, guarding Trey Young. And that was what I was like. Yeah, no, Doc's going to figure it out. Like Trey Young is not a good shooter. Um, his elite skill is, is his passing and his vision. That's always been his elite skill. That's what he came into the NBA with his elite skill as. His shooting has always been overrated. Not just the fact that he takes difficult threes, but even on open threes, he's not an amazing shooter. He's had like one year where he shot like really, really well on like open threes. Um, and I was just like, yeah, they're just going to go under screens. And it's like, okay, what are you going to do now, Trey? Like if you're not getting into the paint with a guy behind you that you can like jump stop into or like get a floater or throw a lob or spray out to the three-point line, if you're not getting that runway um, heading into the paint, what are you going to do? But 
alas, that didn't happen. <laughs> and they everyone goes um, over screens with with, with Trey Young and 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 tries to force him inside. And it's like, no, you're playing into his hands. So I I just yeah I just am taking this opportunity to say that this has been my calling card about Trey Young for a long time is his shooting is very inconsistent and he is 25 now um has played you know thousands of NBA minutes and it's not really improving so I don't know I I think at the same time I will say I don't think there will will be a point when teams don't respect Trey Young shooting so kind of like my idea for like, hey, go under screens. This guy's not a good shooter. I don't know that a team is ever going to actually do that. <laughs> um, and I just, yeah, I, I think he's still going to be respected. And you and I had like talked about this with regard to other players where it's like, it doesn't even matter what they shoot. They command respect as shooters. And that's just like what it is. And yeah, I think functional, functional spacing. Functional spacing, yeah, and I and I think that's just kind of what it is for Trey. So I think he still has that spacing, and, and he still commands that gravity. Um, but I do think it it really limits his upside. At the same time, just with regard to this matchup for the Knicks, um, I agree. I think I think they have a lot of answers for what the Hawks have to offer. I think the you know before that game, the first game, I was not. I wouldn't say I wasn't high on Jalen Johnson. I just didn't know much about him. Like I would say like I just kind of have seen him in passing. You know, he didn't play a ton of minutes. I think he played like 15 minutes a game last year or something like that. Um, Very low usage player. So I didn't see like a ton from him. And I knew he shot like 25% from three on like low volume. So I'm just like, okay. I And he also shot like I think like 60% from the free throw line. So I'm like, this guy is not spacing the floor. I don't know how he can play in a lineup with like DeJounte Murray, Clint Capella, and Trey Young. Like this is a non-shooting, like, you know, your best shooter is DeAndre Hunter, who shoots probably like 35% for like league average from three. So in my eyes, I'm like, I don't even see how that lineup can work. Like you have to play AJ Griffin, you have to play Sadiq Bey to have any chance of of, of you know surrounding Trey with shooters. But this year, Jalen Johnson is shooting around 35%, and he does almost everything else extremely well on both offense and defense. Like he's a pretty good rebounder. He's, he impressed me so much with his defense against the Knicks, um, his defense against stronger guys like Julius Randle, his defense against quicker guys like, like Jalen Brunson, crafty guys like Jalen Brunson. So um, I think he's a difference maker and I think he seems to be coming in into his own. Um, he's now up to 30 minutes per game after playing like 15 minutes per game last year. Um, so I think he's a difference maker. And I think, I mean, we talked about the one thing we talked about last time previewing the game, I mentioned like Capella as a potential problem for Mitchell Robinson, not a problem that he couldn't overcome, but it's a potential problem for Mitchell Robinson. And we didn't see that come into fruition last game. I think with Jalen Johnson kind of having this new role and, and, and really coming into his own, I think it is going to make it more difficult on the boards for the Knicks, um, the Hawks are now, I'm looking, I don't know if this is updated with like the most recent data, but they are sixth in offense in the NBA and fourth in offensive rebounding in the NBA. Um, and they're also 12th in defensive rebounding. So not, I thought they were a little higher in defensive rebounding, but I do think that this is going to be a difficult matchup for the Knicks. I think that the, the Knicks will win the game, but at the same time, I think we'll need R.J. Barrett 
to play at the kind of level that he's been playing to really feel confident about it. Because as we saw tonight, without RJ or without this version of RJ, they're going to struggle um, a little bit more than they have in the past. In past years where it seemed like they would be better potentially without RJ on the court, I think they need this kind of full-strength RJ unless Randall has a renaissance and and is rejuvenated. So that's that's kind of what I'm looking at for the Hawks game. Yeah, um, really good point about attacking the offensive glass. I'm actually surprised teams don't do it against the Knicks more. Um for a couple of reasons, as much as Tibbs talks about it every year, the Knicks don't hurt you in transition off the boards. They just, they don't push it enough. Um, they don't have, you know, I mean, nobody has a LeBron, but they just don't have that singular guy who's going to get a rebound and go as much as they, you know, they try like quickly and RJ try really hard. Sometimes Randall will grab a rebound and push it uh, like uh, have a push ahead pass. But for the most part, if you get caught, um, you know, behind the play, the Knicks are going to let you recover more often than not. And then the second reason I'm surprised that um, opponents don't attack the offensive glass more is because outside of Mitch, the Knicks are a terrible box out team, especially the guys who play lots of minutes. And like if Jalen Johnson, who Randall will probably be his primary assignment, Every single time a guy who isn't Jalen Johnson shoots, Randall's just going to turn, stand, and watch the ball. And if you're Jalen Johnson, you can scoot around him so easily. You see it happen all the time. Um, so it's not even really about Capella. I trust Mitch to find Capella and take him off the offensive glass, do his be- do the best he can. Capella's crafty, so like sometimes he's just going to spot an angle and get around Mitch. But for the most part, I, I don't think I don't think any offensive rebound that Capella gets is due to Mitch being like lazy or bad. I think it's just, oh, there was a weird angle or a weird, a weird carom off the offensive glass. I could see DeJounte Murray or Jalen Johnson exploiting Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle just standing and watching the ball. Um, I, I, I think that's an area opponents should look to attack the Knicks. And I thought, I, I think that's a great point that you made bring it up because I do think that could be an issue. Um, I, I have a question for you. Cause you brought up the, the shooting. Um, you were like, Oh, how could this spacing work? And I agree with you. If Deandre Hunter is your best spacer that in general, like that's less shooting than you want. But do you think it's possible that you kind of, you can overvalue shooting due to your perspective as a Knicks fan? And what I mean by that is like, the Knicks have basically created a, a paradigm where their whole offense is very basic. It's it's read and react. It's create advantages and kick, drive and kick, or or make the layup. You know, and so um, in, inherently, the better shooters you have on the court, it, there's a um, there's a perfect correlation, or there, there it is the better the shooting, the better that offense is going to be because there's, there's more space than there's, but is it possible that in an offense that's a little bit more creative, that shooting isn't as valuable because there are, there are other things to leverage and there are other ways to create space. Because when I watch a team like the Hawks 
who in a vacuum don't have the best shooting and therefore don't have the best gravity in a vacuum, I don't see it really clogged. And I see a lot of movement off the ball and a lot of creative screening and a lot of different things that might mitigate that potential weakness and could cause someone like you to, I don't want to say miss the forest for the trees, but underrate how much space they're operating with due to, due to the pure um, shooting numbers. Yeah. I think this is a really good question. It's if you say if is it possible that I might overrate shooting as as a as a Knicks fan and, and watcher of Knicks games, I think it's just possible that I would overrate shooting because I think it's the number one most important thing in the game of basketball. <laughs> so no, I know. Uh, I'm just saying. Do you think? Do you think yeah. that that perspective is shaped by being yeah. a Knicks fan? And oh, that's interesting. Uh, I don't think so. I don't. I don't. I don't think so. I think that I would have come to that conclusion just based on watching basketball and, 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 you know, we share a a appreciation for Steph Curry and, and kind of the way that he impacts the game. And I feel like, you know, in other observations and data um, really supports like shooters and shooting being the thing that opens up the court the most. But I think that what you're saying about other ways, kind of like smart screening movement off ball, like, there's a lot of things you can do to create spacing. I just think it's harder. I just think it's harder. And I just think it's harder to do consistently. And I think you can generate the same kind of space literally just like by planting someone in a spot. And that's different and more, and it's different and more difficult to do it by doing all of this. Like, I don't want to say like contrived, but like kind of doing a lot of other things off the ball and I think especially if you have guys that not only are not good three-point shooters, but like also not great like mid-range shooters. So I think if you're someone, if you're a team like the Suns and you have, you know, a bunch of guys who will completely roast you from the mid-range if they have to, first, I think, you know, I do think there's, you know, JJ Reddick says this all the time. But I do think there's like a math problem there when you have guys pulling up for two constantly, but at the same time, I do think you can generate spacing with like shooting from within the arc and guys can really do damage that way. I, I would need to, I think I would need to like, in, in all fairness to your point, I think I would need to like watch games for a team that really doesn't have good shooting on the court or like great spacers and watch a team that doesn't have great spaces but has a really good offense like the Atlanta Hawks for instance who uh, you know I, I I mentioned there are number six in the offense in NBA number six in offense in the NBA um, and then really just kind of digest that and see what's going on see how they're creating spacing and um, see if it's really a matter of like the talent of their players you know um, a guy like Trey Young who can be like a, a a unique talent who can kind of produce and generate offense despite maybe a lack of spacing around him or if it's a matter of other things that they're doing it's just like something I would lead to like dive into and like really like cut apart in terms of like my film watching but of course I think it's possible and I I think if there's anything I'm like have a bias towards in basketball, it is shooting. It is spacing. I think it's like like I said, I think it's the number one most important thing in the game. Um, I value guys who generate gravity more than I do any other type of of kind of latent skill that 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 somebody else can bring to the game. 
so yeah i i this is a long-winded way of saying like I, I definitely am biased towards shooting i don't think it's because i'm a knicks fan particularly but i think it's just because of other things i've observed and some of the data that leads me in that direction but i i think i can i'm a- absolutely open to the idea that you can generate spacing through other means besides like shooting. And it, it seems like the Hawks are doing that because although obviously they have Bogdanovich who shoots really well, AJ Griffin, who shoots really well, Bay, who's shooting really well this year, um, you know, in their starting lineup, they don't have much shooting. And I don't know how that's an effective starting lineup. So one area we seem to very strongly disagree on, or something you just said that I disagree with you is that, um, good shooters will always create more space. I think, you know, he, uh, I forget if it was on pod or off pod when you told me your theory about centers not being a thing anymore in the next 10 years or something. Was that on, was that on stream? Was that, for that we was off pod, but I've talked about it with other okay. people off pod too. I, I, um, I, I'm happy for that to be out and open. The, my, my theory okay. is that in the net, it, in 10 years from now, um centers or five men will essentially all be able to shoot and those who can't shoot will will be out of the league that was that's that's my theory um i think that we're also moving towards shooters who can't movement shoot being extinct like i don't think steve novak would even steve novak shooting 40 to 45 percent from three i don't think he would be a rotation player in the nba today i don't think he could i don't think and he you're could saying be. not because of his defense you're saying because it doesn't at the highest level like i feel about steve novak the way i feel about hauser kind of but i think hauser is actually better than steve novak because i think he can shoot on the move a little bit but still i don't think that a good team or a really good team will let I just think there are too many players these days who can help and recover at an elite rate. And if you three and D needs to become three and um, attack closeouts and D (laughs) because if your only skill is standstill shooting, you just aren't going to be able to get shots off in today's NBA teams are too smart. They're too prepared and the athletes are too good. Um, I wouldn't, so, disagree, I wouldn't disagree with that, I think. I think that that's a fair take, but I, I guess I'm trying to see um, see how it uh, meshes or disagrees with this with the center take. Um, it has you, nothing to do with the center take. I was oh, just using... Oh, no, okay. I was, I, I was oh, okay. just using I'm that sorry. as an example. I was example. trying to figure I, out how it fits. No, you're... <laughs> okay, I got you're you. You're good. I, I, was just, I was just using that as an example of like, this is my... I see. Like I see. My, my center take... Yeah, my, my center take is that shooters who can't do anything else offensively, got it, got it, got it, got who can't it. attack closeouts or anything, are just standstill shooters, are basically going to be, become extinct. Got it, got it. Yeah, yeah, I think that makes sense, and I and I and I I hear that point. Um, I think that it's different if everybody can shoot, right? Like, I think you movement shooting is more important to the team if you have a non-shooter in the lineup, right? I think if everybody can shoot. I think it becomes a less valuable attribute, basically. So if you look at the Celtics situation, for instance, if all those guys are just like 40% catch and shoot, three-point shooters, 40 plus, like I don't think they need to have movement shooters like because they all can shoot. Like I think you just have Tatum go to work one-on-one 
And I don't think guys are going to be able to stunt and recover, you know, or anything like to, to, to keep up with the ball moving around to each, each individual guy who touches it could potentially shoot 40 to 45% on an open three point shot. I just don't think you can, I don't think the defense can recover from that kind of scenario. Now, if you have a non-shooter, I think you can, I think, I think you do need more movement shooting becomes even more critical. Um, because there are ways that the team can kind of shy away or, um, you know, shade the defense away from that non-shooter or poor shooter. Um, so I think, I think it changes things. I think if you have five shooters and I, my vision, like, and, and I, you know, if anybody's interested in this, my vision for the NBA in 10 years is that, and if I had a team, I, this is what I would do now. I would have guys one through 12 be, good enough like average nba shooters so like even my bench bigs my 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 third big my my jericho sims would be able to shoot like 35 percent from three that's what i would imagine and and actually it, it made me think about this because you asked if if it's kind of coded my view being a knicks fan about like three-point shooting being important important um I've loved three-point shooting since I played basketball video games, and it actually started for me with um, NBA Live 2004, which uh, was 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 before the 2K days, folks. So I was, you know, NBA Live was was the 2K before 2K, and I remember I used to play with the Seattle Supersonics, and I loved that squad because they could all shoot. And one of the main reasons I played with that team was because of Vladimir Redmanovich who I played as my center, who was a really good shooter. And I had, I think so you went was... with Ridenauer, Allen, yeah. Richard Lewis, Rodmanovich. Who was the fifth? Yes. I think it was Flip Murray. It might've been or some random, <laughs> some random guard who could also shoot. Okay. Um, but yes, it, Ridenauer was my guy. Um, you, you said the exact lineup. So, so the fact that they have Richard Lewis and Redmanovich at the four five, that was, and, and we just, I'm saying we, yeah, me, we just bombed threes that season. Like every shot was a three. It was all like penetrate and, and kick out to great shooters. And we dominated the league. Uh, we dominated it. And that, that, I don't know if that was like we, the start. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we dominated the league. Were you um, an actual NBA fan back then? I assume you were. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah. Any chance you remember the, uh, any chance you remember the Sun Sonics game from that season? The first oh, Steve Nash season. I, my memory is terrible. I won't remember a specific game from that time. But so the Suns and, Suns and Sonics played a game in the 0405 season. Triple overtime that ended like 161 to 160 with Ray Allen hitting a... So like Steve Nash hit a shot with like 0.9 seconds left to put the Suns up two. And then Ray Allen hit a buzzer beater three to walk off and win 161 to 160 in triple overtime. And... 15 year old me who didn't love the nba i was like a big baseball guy i played baseball yeah big golf guy huge football guy obviously i like the nba but i was probably one of those nerds who was like oh college is better than the nba they play that <laughs> um i just turned that game on and like i i was encapsulated it was to this day one of the best regular season games i've ever watched in my entire life that's awesome. I literally may go back and watch that game because that sounds like it would be so much fun to watch. I obviously love Nash and uh, both of those offenses would be so like cool to watch with the with the the current context. So that that seems like a game I would go. We you got to send me that after the pod. Um, yeah, yeah, man. Ray Allen, one of the most underrated players ever. Like I, I feel like he was, it, his the perception of him 
was mm-hmm. hurt by going to two big winning franchises. Yep. No, all right, what I'm saying isn't making sense. No, no, no. Lot. It's making sense to me. Yeah. Everybody only viewed him as a shooter. And he they was forgot. so good off yeah, the dribble at the mid range, like attacking the basket. He would draw fouls. Like I, he was one of my favorite players back then. Nobody remembers that in the Oh one season, the Iverson MVP season, the Bucks took Philly to seven games in the Eastern conference finals. And Allen like outplayed Iverson and the refs basically like they're like, that was the big corruption year that, that, that or the big corruption era. The Donahue game was, or yeah. the the Kings Lakers game six was 2002, and everybody after the 2002 Western Conference Finals, everybody's huge conspiracy is that basically the league needed Philly in that finals because everybody knew the Lakers <laughs> were going to win, and they just needed a big name like Allen Iverson in the finals. And if you look at the free throw discrepancy, it's ridiculous. But yeah, Ray Allen was unbelievable for the Bucks, unbelievable for the Sonics, and hey, really good player obviously for Boston and for for the heat he was just more of a shooter and right. so i think that that has shaded the perception of him and people have forgotten how overall great he was for sure yeah totally agree with that um let, let's uh let's talk about the wizards um because the knicks haven't played the wizards yet and um you know i shout out to my guy mensa uh, uh, big dog i call mensa mensa's the goat right um he he was a little higher on the Wizards than I think most of us others were. And uh, it's not not looking so hot right now. Um, anything is in specific that say, and I, and I want to say, like, I don't think the roster is, I think they have some talent on the roster. I don't think it's as bad as like other people think. So I'm not like uh, one of these guys that's like, wow, this is the worst team ever assembled or whatever it is that people are like hyperbolic thing that people are saying, because I think Avdia is good. I think Kisper is going to be pretty good. I don't think Kuzma is like the worst player in the world. Obviously I don't think he's, he's great or anything like that. I'm higher on Jordan Poole than, than you are, you know, Tyus Jones is okay. Um, even Muscala in like spot minutes is like pretty good. And, and you did a a thread and you talked about, um, Bilal Koulibaly and, and, and I think he's going to be a good player. I think he's 19 years old. So, um, I think he's going to be a good player moving forward. So I don't think this is like a trash, trash bag team or anything like that, but they're not going to win many games. Um, so I don't know if there's anything that you want to say about that matchup. So I have two things to say. One, I just, I, I don't know Mensa personally. We've interacted on the timeline a little bit. Seems like a really cool guy. Um, I He's like the, best, the idea. Yeah. I, I like the idea of him listening to this to support us, hearing us give Andrew a shout out, like a positive shout out. And then he, and then he stumbles to this point and you're like, <laughs> shout out Mensa. And you're just shitting on him. Like, it's <laughs> so ridiculous. Mensa's the best, man. He'll understand. He's not going to take it. He's not going to take it. Uh, it is funny to think about though. Mensa's, yeah. Mensa's the goat, man. He knows that. I've said my piece on Jordan Poole. I don't need to say more about Jordan Poole. I don't think highly of him as a basketball player. The clip that went viral today of Jordan Poole is literally one of the least surprising things to me in the world. I don't know if you saw that, but it's 
Do you know what I'm talking about? No, no. Tell me about it. Wait, the, the last viral Jordan Some Poole dude, clip was the one where he where he did turned his back on Chris Stops and then dribbled behind his back and like lazily went out to the three and got mocked. <laughs> that was so that was so cool. <laughs> that uh, was hilarious. That makes me like him more. That's just that's that's <laughs> god levels of confidence right there. Like to be able to rebound from that is man. That takes that's no. This one is uh, some guy or I sexist some person has been making a comp has been videotaping Jordan Poole in the huddle and then made a compilation video of Jordan Poole in the huddle just not paying attention so like they have all these clips of like the coach drawing up plays or people trying to talk to him and him just not giving shit at all <laughs> and just being super That's confused so like he doesn't he doesn't know what any of the plays are and like he's just not paying attention at all uh Oh man, that's so that's so like it's so that's cool awesome. to me that he's yeah, yeah that's awesome. I agree. Like, damn, that's cool. Uh, <laughs> but if I was a Wizards fan, that would I mean uh, everybody everybody yeah. listening to this just heard me talk about Julius Randle. Julius Randle is a thousand times better than Jordan Poole is. So like yeah. I can't even imagine what I'd be saying if I was a Wizards fan. Um, yeah. Speaking of cool, Block Kulabali is awesome. Uh, you said yeah. he's gonna be good. One, you say he's gonna be good one day, dude. He played 33 minutes tonight. Like the Wizards have already figured out he's good. He played 33 minutes tonight. He had four stocks. He had seven rebounds, three assists. Four, like he's shooting over 40 percent from three. Ten points on four of seven yeah. shooting. Like I don't mean awesome. he's like actually. Yeah, I don't. I, I mean like he's obviously not. You know what I'm saying? Like, we speak Sean, Sean Marion. Is that what you're saying? He is. <laughs> yes, he's already Sean Marion. He's the mate. He's the modern Matrix. The French Matrix. Um, no, he's he's really cool. Um, if I was a Wizard fan, he would definitely be the person that he, I, I would just latch on because I mean, I already have a bias towards French young young French guys who can do everything. Um, unfortunately, sure. the Knicks the Knicks version did not pan out, but hopefully, hopefully the Wizards' sake, it does. I look, this is not the Hornets and you made the point. I mean, in a vacuum, Kuzma at Kuzma, Avdia, Gafford, Jones, Poole, Kispert, Koulibaly. These are NBA players. They can, the the Knicks aren't just going to be able to show up and win this game. They have to play well. Um, I don't care that they're two and eight. It actually wouldn't surprise me. Uh, I don't know what Mensa's prediction was. Like, did he think they were going to be in the playoffs or what? What no, was his prediction? I think I forgot what he had. He had, he might've had him as like 12th in the e- or 11th in oh. the e, something like that. And like, he just, the, his big thing was that they'd be better than the Pacers, I think. Ooh. Okay. Well, I would not have been on board with that, but I was very high on the Pacers. Um, yeah, but it wouldn't surprise me if they end up distancing themselves from the actual bottom feeders. Um, the pay the pistons and the hornets um i just think there's too much talent on this roster so yeah i i think from a knicks perspective they have to play well um i i do think that they're gonna score at will i think this is gonna be a game to help the knicks offensive stats i think they'll be able to get whatever sure. pretty much whatever, pretty much whatever For they sure. want yeah i think gafford is kind of underrated at this point i think he's he's another one who could give Mitch some issues just because he's kind of an annoyance. Um, he's a good rim protector. He attacks the boards on both ends, just a good player. Um, I think Mitch will ultimately win that battle, but it's just, again, I just don't think he can show up and win. Did you um, think Mark Williams was going to give Mitch trouble? Not really. 
I, I just think it's kind of different. I think I think Gafford's a bit more seasoned, um, whereas I think Mark Williams is just very young and raw. And I, I know he's good, and I know he's already better than Gafford. I just think the things that Mark Williams does well right now, Mitch is going to take care of, whereas I think Gafford might be a little bit peskier in the direct matchup. Mm-hmm. Um. I also covered Mark Williams. You know, I, I know we're going to talk about the Hornets soon. He's a way better. We should talk this about is my favorite right now. <laughs> Go yeah, ahead. Th- this is this is my this is my favorite thing about doing this weekly segment is, you know, it's really hard to watch a ton of NBA, especially the Hornets. For me, I can't watch them until three days after because, what um bum because the NBA. Um, to, it's to really fun for the audience. You you live too close to the, yeah, the regional I, I broadcast live. network. Right. I can't watch Hawks or Hornets games because I live in South Carolina. Um, I I really love just discovering new things. I just love the NBA so much. So I love, I thought it was really cool to like, because this is the second time I'm covering the Hornets. The first week I covered them, I talked about Gordon Hayward and I talked about his scoring inside the arc. And I was like, okay, this is a really bad team. And now Brandon Miller's hurt. So I don't know what I'm going to cover. And then I noticed this, I was like, this has to be an outlier. But I noticed as I was looking through their on-off data that the Hornets assist 10% more often when Mark Williams is on the court than off the court. And I was just like, how can a center have that much impact? Like, you can't. Like, why, why would they play? And it's probably just noise. You know, the sample size is really small. But whether it's noise or not, I stumbled into Mark Williams passing highlights. And I was like, holy shit, this, this dude can pass on the short roll. He's, he is an elite processor already. The pass and, and he matches it with skill as a passer. Um, that's something that could give the Knicks issues. It really is. If, if the, if the Hornets lean into it more because of Mitch and drop, or, you know, if they, if they are trying to cover for Brunson, they'll have him be high at the level. If Mark Williams can get get the ball on the catch and get downhill a little bit, with how um, aggressive the Knicks stunt from the weak side, Mark Williams can make that pass. Um, and I expect the Hornets to create more open looks than they did the first time if they get Mark Williams more involved. So, you know, you ask the question, do I think he's going to bother Mitch on the glass more than Daniel Gafford? I don't, but I do think that overall Mark Williams can be more effective against the Knicks than Gafford can um, due to reasons that don't really have anything to do with Mitch and and more to do with the, the overall scheme. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I, I also love that you're doing the kind of around the NBA segment because, you know, and especially when we play the Hornets twice and it's just like, hey, what else am I going to talk about about the Hornets? Um, and then you kind of discover nuggets like that because I had no idea that Williams passing was anywhere near that level at this point um I I don't know if would you say they kind of feature him in that role very often like kind of get him the ball in the short role very very frequently because I know his like for instance his assist percentage is not like particularly high so I it's not but it's double what it was last season so they're at least they're at least trying either he's running really hot on the passes he's making Mm -hmm. or they're trying to feature him a bit more one of the two yeah 
So I think that's really cool. And um, I also think what else I think is cool is that the Knicks are going to get another blowout victory <laughs> against this team. I don't I don't really see what the Hornets are going to do to, uh, you know, and especially if Brandon Miller is out, who looked phenomenal in the early on in the game against the Knicks. And I actually he will think, be like, he will be playing FYI. He will be playing. OK, well, yeah, he's, I, pro- he's probable for their next game. Got it. Okay. Probable for the next game. Definitely going to be playing in the next game. I think Brandon Miller is good. I think he's like good already. And um, I th- I mean, we've seen kind of streaky shooting from him so far, but there wa- he already did have stretches where he was shooting like really well. And I think he can get to kind of anywhere he wants. And I didn't realize how good an athlete he was. I don't watch very much college basketball, um, but he's a tremendous athlete. I think he's going to be a really positive impact player. Uh, and I think we saw a little, you know, spurts of that in the Knicks game before he got injured. At the same time, I don't think he's going to change their fate. Their defense is is just is just not good. And I think that coming off of you know the Wizards game, um, well they'll they'll have gotten their their mojo flowing, you know, scoring wise. I think that they'll just like continue that uh, along that path in in the Hornets game. Um, so I don't have a ton to say about it. I mean, we talked about them before and, and, and you covered a lot of, of, you know, with your nuggets and actually we play the Hornets for some reason once a week. <laughs> uh, and so they'll be playing the Hornets again the, the following week, I think. So we'll probably talk a little bit more about them. I don't know what your, what your, <laughs> what your, uh, insight is going to be at that point. You'll probably be talking about, um, Nick Richards or, 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 uh, <laughs> uh leaky black at some point. I'm not even sure. There's an, there's an, there's another option. The other, the other French player, I was, he could be back. <laughs> oh, did you know? Did you know Frank's on the Frank's? Frank's on the Hornets. No, I know he's on the Hornets, but is he? He's not gonna, he's back. He like broke his leg. I was okay, yeah, I didn't know what his injury was. I didn't know his injury yeah. was. Yeah, I, I, he, like, I, broke you confused me because I was like, he's gonna be back. What? <laughs> um, yeah, he's always I mean, he's always back. he's always back in my heart, extra. <laughs> <laughs> um. Let, let's talk about the last team uh, before we wrap up. I definitely want to uh, put a bow on that episode soon, but like, let's talk about the last team that the Knicks are going to be playing. The Minnesota Timberwolves, the defensive juggernaut that is the Minnesota, Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, yeah, I, I, I've gotten to watch a little bit of Minnesota basketball. Obviously, we're seeing a lot of amazing highlights from Anthony Edwards, but this team is 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 so much more than, than Anthony Edwards. I think he has played really well defensively but they have a lot of great defensive player um, defensive players Jaden McDaniels is excellent shooting the freaking lights out whenever he's open and they're doing all of this without getting much from Towns by way of efficiency or effectiveness um, you know Gobert is back to 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 roaming the paint the way that we've always known him to um, earlier in his career so I think this is going to be a tough game. This is going to be the fifth game in a row on the road um, playing in Minnesota after playing against two awful defenses that they're going to have their way against running up against this team that I think whose defense I believe is very much legit. Um, You know, they even have Shake Milton there, who's a really good defender. Kyle Anderson, who's a really good defender. Um, Nas Reed, I think, has made improvements this year. And is also shooting the lights out. So I, I don't know. I think I this is going to be a super tough test. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm just curious your thoughts on on, on the, the Timberwolves game. So I have a fortunate perspective because I watched the entire Warriors-Timberwolves game live. Um, 
I forget if it was last night or the night before. I think it was last night. Um, in that game, there was one of the coolest plays that I can recall this season. And that was a play where I don't know what the action's called, but I think everybody who's an NBA fan can picture it. It's where the Warriors have Steph and Clay both off the ball screening for each other. And one, you don't know who's going to do what. It's basically entirely improv, but they've mastered it. But basically one slips to the basket and the other pops around another screen waiting for it. And they just get a good, good look out of it all the time. And somehow the Timberwolves ended up with, because of like, I, I forget if it was a cross match or if it was like in transition or if it was just they switched so much, the matchups got completely screwed. But Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert were the two guarding those two off the ball. It was wild. And Clay and Steph spent about 10 seconds like running circles around each other, trying to create an opening. And Towns and Gobert stayed with them the entire time. And they stopped the ball. Or they they stopped, they got a stop on the possession. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, okay, I think this defense is for real because we know Conley, Edwards, McDaniels, and Gobert are good defenders. But if my whole thing about Carl Anthony Towns has always been like, he's not a power forward. It can't work. He's not going to, he's not fast enough to chase guys around the perimeter. He's not committed enough to consistently do it on a possession to possession basis. And when I saw that possession, I was just like, I, I know it's just a single possession, but that took, commitment and effort and stuff that I wasn't ready to associate with Carl Anthony Towns. Um, they love having McDaniels guard the smaller guy. It wouldn't surprise me at all if they stuck McDaniels on Brunson. That I, I actually think Brunson is fine with like when he plays the Raptors, he always does fine. I think McDaniels is a different challenge because he's not someone that Brunson's going to be able to just dust. Well, excuse me. I mean this relatively. Of course, Brunson's going to win the battle plenty because he's so skilled and he's just a master of his craft. But just overall, I don't think that he's just going to be consistently dusting him like he would other guys McDaniels' size. I think McDaniels is going to present a problem. Um, And then they, they just – they offer everything that you get to the rim – they have multiple rim protectors. You know, Julius Randle can't play bully ball against their bigs. RJ Barrett's not going to be able to live in the paint. He's going to have to keep showcasing the second and third level efficiency that he has so far this season. All these different things cause pro- exactly what I was saying about the Hawks, how the Knicks have answers to all their questions. I think the Timberwolves have answers to a lot of the Knicks questions or, or to their to, to the problems that the Knicks try to try to offer opposing teams i just don't think it's a great matchup um i don't love our defenders against edwards like i don't think grimes is big enough i don't think Hart is fast enough i think edwards is going to i think it's going to put a lot of pressure on mitchell robinson i think conley towns and mcdaniels will all make shots when they're open i think rudy gobert is going to attack the offensive glass like i just think they're a good team that Again, their strengths correlate with the Knicks' weaknesses. And, you know, forget the Knicks for a second. I just think they're a good team in the macro. Like, I don't know if they can win a championship this year. I think there's a limit to what you can do with Carl Anthony Towns at power forward. I still believe that that's going to be a long-term issue. But 
I believe in this team to a certain extent. I believe in Chris Finch, the coach. I'll still never forget a game that I saw the Raptors and Timberwolves play last season that ended up going into overtime. And I, I remember it very specifically because it was wall. Um, Nick's Twitter was, was in one of their many yearly civil wars over end of game scenarios. And there was one side arguing, well, every team ISOs at the end of game. So it doesn't really matter that the Knicks get stagnant at the end of games. And then there was the other side being like, whatever the polar opposite of that is like, we need to run more plays and yada, yada. And that game just blew me away because not only did the Raptors nor Timberwolves isolate at the end of this game, they actually leaned into more plays and they were running all this team friendly offense. I believe in Chris Finch's ability to draw plays and design a defense. I, I just think this is a good team and yeah, if they stay healthy, watch out for the Timberwolves. Yeah, I you definitely had an unfortunate perspective, which I wholeheartedly agree with. Um, I the one thing I would say that I'm not sure is legitimate about the Timberwolves. They teams are currently shooting, I think, like thirty one or thirty two percent from three against them. I think that's noise. I don't think that's going to hold up. I don't think you can just most teams in most situations, I don't think you can just hold teams to 32% shooting from three. I, like, I, I think that that's more like shooting luck that they're recipients of. So that's the only thing that makes me feel like, okay, it's not like this is the best team in the league or something like that. Like this is not Boston to me. I think that Minnesota, I do believe, despite what you said about Towns' defense in that scenario, and I think Towns has been a little better defensively this year. Um, maybe he's giving more effort because he's not scoring at, at, at the clip that he's used to. But I do think that's going to hold them back. And um, I do think that the, the defense is going to kind of come back down to earth a little bit because I think it's being bullied by the, sh the three-point shooting against them, which is really, really, it's like bottom of the league, I, I think. If, um, if I'm right, I think the 32% is the lowest that any team is shooting. Um or the lowest that any defense is holding teams to. So I don't, and I don't think that that's a result of just like great defense. You can just hold teams to 32% from three. So that's the only thing. Um, they're, they're really good defending at the rim. Um, Jaden McDaniels has shown me a ton. Like I've believed in his defense, but you, um, um, I think that I was watching the Warriors game. I forget if that's the one that you told me to tune into. But anyway, there was a Warriors game that I don't I'm not sure, but it was a Warriors game that they were playing against Minnesota and McDaniel was was so impressive. He's so active. He can pick guys up early. He can stay with guys off the dribble. He's very long. He chases around screens. Um he has some of that hustle that Derek White has around screens where like you think he's in your rear view, you think he's gone, but actually he's still in the play and he might he might even block you. Not only is he going to get a rear contest, he may block you from behind. Um, and then his shooting is just like knocked down so far. So I think McDaniels is like really a weapon for them. Um, again, I think Towns could hold them back, but I don't think the Knicks have the tools to exploit Towns in the way that, uh, you know, a team would need to to take advantage of it. So the only thing I could say is like, I think that the shooting luck is going to, run out for them at some point and the, the you know maybe they won't be a, the best defense in the NBA but I still think they're a legitimately like top five defense what I would ask you is if you think do you think if Minnesota could flip towns 
for you know two lesser pieces let's say but ones that fit better with their lineup and their rotation do you think that could vault them into contender status or do you think that that wouldn't be enough you think towns is not really holding them back enough for that to make that much of a difference honestly i think they're already in contender status like championship contender like legitimate championship contender this year that's i mean that's tough i mean Boston and Denver are so good. I, I almost want to like exclude them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, De- Minnesota's played Denver, Boston, and Golden State. They're three and overs those teams. I know it doesn't matter. They they absolutely destroyed Denver. They beat them one ten to eighty nine. Yeah. Um, again, that doesn't. It's one game. I'm I'm not saying that that. I think they're closer than most people do think. And yes, I think if you turn towns into two better fitting pieces, I, I think they're, I think they're one of the teams that could give Denver or Boston a run for their money. Um, I think they can just do it on both ends. And can we talk about, I don't think it's crazy to say that through the first 10% of the seasons, Anthony Edwards should be mentioned in MVP discussions. Yeah, yeah. Let, Anthony let, Edwards has increased his, I'll say, his his assist percentage by five percentage points without his turnover percentage moving at all. Um, and he's hitting mid range mid range shots like at an insane clip for a guy who takes the ones that he does. He he's so much better than he was last year. So, the Minnesota Timberwolves defense has been great. It's ten points worse per hundred when Edwards sits. Okay, that might not be that might not be super significant. Uh, there, there's a lot of factors going into that. Uh, you know, he plays a lot with the back, starters, and the starters right. Are he, really he good. plays he plays a lot with the starters. Um, but then let's talk about the offense. <laughs> when Edwards is on the court, the Timberwolves have a team high 116.6 offense rating. When Edwards is off the court, they score 92.5 points per 100 possessions. <laughs> it's 24 points worse for 100 possessions when Edwards sits. In total, the Timberwolves are 34 points per 100 worse when Edwards sits than when he plays. That's got to be top one percentile in the NBA then. Yeah, net, net differential. The only I, I mean, I, I, I've pretty much looked at every team at this point. The only person who I think is close is Tatum. Or Tatum, who, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tatum's up there too. Who I mean, I again, I think Tatum's in the MVP discussion as well, not just because of that. Mm-hmm. And if you look at Edwards, is just what he's doing across the board. He has a career high true shooting percentage. That's cool. He has a career high usage, but somehow that hasn't hurt his and, and a career high assist percentage hasn't hurt his turnover percentage. Exactly. Yeah. He's just. We are witnessing the Anthony Edwards leap in front of our eyes, and it's. It's a, and the, and the, the coolest thing about it is it's not at all helped by random three point percentage. He's shooting nope. worse from three than he did last season. Yeah. But Which he's is just, scary. That's a little yeah. scary. Like, and I, and we're not going to talk about this uh, today, but I think if I, if we saw the kind of leap from Edwards that, you know, if we saw that in RJ, right? Like, him having this insane impact without his three-point shooting increasing as much, that would be, I would feel a lot better about it being like sustainable and like 
legitimate as far as like long term, like the the level that he's reaching. But we're what we're seeing from Edwards, that's the biggest factor for me. And I'm really glad you brought it up. His three point shooting is not up. <laughs> it like you said, it's slightly down from last year, but yet his impact has gone through the roof. Everything else that he does on both ends has improved. Like he is, this is a leap to me. This is like what a leap looks like to me. Not, oh, I'm shooting. Again, this is not a slander on RJ. Not, oh, I'm shooting 50% early in the season from three. And that's why, you know, it's ridiculous when I'm on the court. Because if you increase any player's three-point shooting percentage by 20%, they're going to look like a different player entirely. But if you have the same three-point shooting percentage and everything else is much better, those things feel more sustainable to me. So I just wanted to interject with that because you brought up such a, that's like a point that I, I would hammer on we're not going to have this whole conversation now, but I do think you're selling other improvements of RJ short. Um, He's made other improvements. I, I, yeah, I, I, it wasn't, it was, I shouldn't have used it as an example, but I, my point is really, he's made other improvements for sure. And I, I'm not denying that though. I'm just saying like 50% from three is anybody shooting 50% from three with that usage is going to look like an all world impact player. Not that doesn't mean that RJ's leap is not real or anything like that necessarily. I'm not saying that, but just like anybody who shoots 50% from three that previously shot 32% from three on that usage is going to look like an amazing all world player. Anyone pick anyone in the entire NBA and just say, this guy has, a 25 usage or whatever and he's shooting 20 percent higher from three like that guy's gonna look like an all-star any single player yeah and you do have to i do think that one thing people aren't god we're just having the rj conversation <laughs> I, do, I do think that one thing that people aren't factoring in is like what what would Anyone, even the high, well, not the highest person, somebody who's in the 90th percentile of RJ Believer, RJ fans, what would they say his overall impact in the league is right now? It has to the the quiet part nobody's talking about is is he a top 50 player in the league? Player in the league? I don't mean in a vacuum. I mean with his current impact. So far this season. Is, so far this season, is he a top what? Top 30? 40, 30? Yeah, something like that. So, okay, I would so say maybe 40, yeah. Like you think, so, so you don't think he'd be an all-star? If, no, I, if, I, don't think that, I don't think he'd be an all-star, no. Okay, so... Do you think he'd be an all-star? In a vacuum, I don't think he'd be an all-star. With the Knicks crazies, <laughs> maybe. Um, yeah. No, I... Um, but that's kind of worrying. That's, I mean, that's the part nobody's talking about. He's shooting fifty percent from three, and <laughs> not sure he'd be an all star. You know, like okay, we're 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 kind of just I don't know why we're sneaking this in at the end of the pod, <laughs> but we're kind of just doing it. So it is what it is. I, so you know, his true shooting right now is sixty one percent, right? And he's scoring. I'm um, he's scoring twenty six point four points per seventy five possessions. I like I like looking at point uh, seventy five uh, possessions. So, but the but we're seeing him shoot fifty percent from three and like eighty five percent from the free throw line, um, and I I I threw into a little calculator that um, let's say he shot the way he shot last year from three and the free throw line. Last year he shot thirty one percent from three and seventy four percent from the free throw line. He would be at fifty two percent true shooting, which is actually lower than what he shot last year. 
and at 22.6 points per 75 possessions compared from the, with his 21.5 points per 75 possessions last year. So obviously, I'm not saying anything that like requires rocket science. I'm saying he'd be less efficient and scoring less if he's shooting lower percentages. But that's really my point. Like his rebound rate is down. The team has a lower offensive and defensive rebounding rate when he's on the court. Um, his league-wide percentile ranks are the same for defensive rebounding and lower offensive rebound and lower for offensive rebounding last year. He's getting to the free throw line actually less, like it's the second lowest of his career in terms of his free throw rate. His assist percentage is is higher um, because he's definitely passing out of drives much more, and his general decision making are much better. Um, but he's actually driving at a, a slightly lower rate than he was last year and passing out of those drives only at a slightly higher rate than he was last year. Like it's not very much of a difference. He's also shooting a lower percentage on drives than he was last year, 38% versus 47%. So, you know, like these are just the things that are like worrying about the sustainability of the leap, so to speak, because those other things are not, have not really improved very much. Like it's, it, to me, it's like on the back of the shooting. So if you believe in the shooting, if you're like, yeah, this shooting is legit, RJ is going to shoot 81% from the free throw line and 41% from three, then I would say, yes, he's made a leap for sure. That's good. But I think any guy or any player um, that increases their shooting 15% from one year to the next, that they're, they're going to make a leap. Like that's just, that's just the reality of the situation. So that's kind of where I'm at. I'm not, this not to say it's not a leap or anything like that. I just, I just need to see the sustainability of it um, for, for, for me. Right. I think that's, there are going to be a lot of people who just turn their brains off after like 10 seconds of hearing what you just said I, yeah, I and don't that. of hearing how you started and don't even try to people need to understand that what you're saying is that if statistically nothing rebounding passing on drives finishing at the rim if none of these things improved the full backbone of his improvement is dependent on three-point shooting and offensively so, offensively but off yes. offensively right yeah and so for the reaction and the belief to be as overwhelming as it is you have to buy the shooting that's your whole point and historically three-point shooting is the flukiest and most volatile thing there is like some people might rebut to you and say okay well how about you put into the calculator what he shot from at the rim last season, you know, you said 38% versus 47%. That's probably going to trickle up. Well, okay. That's not as big of an impact on overall efficiency as three point shooting is. And there's not as much noise because they're, they're, they're higher floor shots. They, they just, it's easier to be what, what you're shooting at the rim is typically more consistent with what you are than what you're shooting from three. And so what XJ is trying to say for people who are actually open-minded and willing to try to understand it is that you can believe, or I can believe because I do believe that RJ's made a leap and that he's improved as a player, but at least try to understand how high, how much weight you have to put on his shooting to believe that you can't just be like, Oh, I, or you can, but you'd be wrong, but you can't just be like, oh yeah, he's just clearly so much better and so much more well-rounded as a player because the numbers don't actually back that up. And I think that's 
what you're trying to say. Yeah, and I, I think that's a really helpful kind of summary and, and, and clarification because I know it's it's necessary. Like I I, I understand that I, I come across as like pouring cold water on the RJ kind of celebration. And I'm not saying that I think it's not real. I'm saying I just want to see more before I, I kind of celebrate along with all of you and and i and to be clear i'm a knicks fan i want it to be i want I, if rj shot 45 percent from three for the rest of his career i would be ecstatic that would be amazing i would love that so much like i would be throwing a party i'd be in the party with all of you i'm just concerned that i you don't see that type of like change from year to year very often and I do believe that most of his improvement thus far is contained to within and, and the, the responsibility for it is the shooting. Like Jeff just said, you know, we can expect his shooting percentage on drives to increase. Again, it's, it's down almost 10%. So that gives some room to offset some of the efficiency drop that we might see when his shooting comes down, if and when his shooting comes down. Um, and so we can expect that. But at the same time, if I'm just looking at what he's done so far this year, that puts even more of the burden and responsibility on his positive impact on the shooting because his his, his shooting percentages on driver uh, drives are lower. Um, so yeah, that that's that's really where I'm coming from about it. Like I would love it to be the case, and I hope that the leap is true. And but I, I think at this point, if you believe, hey, RJ's made this leap. This is real. This is sustainable. You have to believe in the shooting, like Jeff just said. And you might believe in the shooting, and I wouldn't argue with you. I'd be like, I hope that that's true. I hope that his shooting is real, and this is a genuine leap. Maybe he's changed something with his form, um, figured out how to be consistent. I would love that to be the case. But I don't think you can believe in the leap and not believe in the shooting. I don't think you can. At, not at do, this you have, do, you, do you have, and this is great podcasting on the fly here, so the answer might just be no. Do you have the true shooting percentage calculator up in front of you? Uh, no, but I can pull it up. Um, the, the, the tricky I'm, thing about true shooting is that the components are not shooting percentages. They're like field goal attempts. Yeah. 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 To, I've done, yeah. I've done it before. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, I have it up now though. What's up? I'll filibuster a little bit, but I am curious if you can, if you can in the next, you know, couple of minutes figure out what would his true shooting percentage this year be if he shot 80% from the line and 37% from three. And, actually, and, I, and the, I I kind of looked at that already. Actually, uh, okay. So it's around fifty six percent would be his true shooting in that situation. If RJ plateaued at that with what you've seen on the defensive end, would that be encouraging to you from a twenty three year old, or would you be like? we need more because he's the number three pick and this team needs more. No, that would be tremendous. That would be amazing. I would love to, I would, I, if he shoots the, I guess my point is like, when you say a leap, I'm not, not you, but when someone says a leap and that he's in the all-star conversation, I don't expect that to continue. If he can shoot 37% from three and 80% from the free throw line, that would be a leap to me, that would be like, wow, that's really a leap in terms of RJ's like efficiency. Add that with his defense. Like you said, his awareness has increased. His decision-making has improved. His willingness to pass has improved. I think that that's an amazing player. I would love, I would sign up for that RJ. 
and not only that, I would ship out Randall so that that RJ can get more usage and more kind of time on ball. Um, that would be amazing to me. I just don't think he's like an all-star. I don't think he's made the leap that Anthony Edwards has made. And I don't think he's like an all-star, you know? Yeah. So I think that, unfortunately, this is where you and I are very similar. I think that you almost feel it as your responsibility to push back because it's not in your nature to emotionally overstate things. Yes. You, you see you see a lot of Knicks fans getting excited, and that's not immediately off-putting to you. In fact, as a Knicks fan, I'm sure you're like, yeah, this is awesome. Like Knicks fans being happy is a good thing. But then it, the conversation becomes so overwhelmingly like, oh, all-star Barrett. And it's like, okay, are we trying to talk basketball here or are we just what, – what are we doing here? And so I feel like that is where you're coming from kind of maybe. Yeah, that's probably the, the, the root of it. I think really the root of it for me is like I'm worried about this team because it seems like we're dependent on this like sub-all-star level R.J. Barrett that I don't know is going to continue for the whole season. Um, and I'm almost like cautioning, like, let's chill out because I don't think it could be like, yo, we need RJ. So we're like, look at how bad we are without RJ because that the RJ that we've seen, I don't know that that's like, that is RJ, you know, I think RJ can be much better than he has been so far in his career. And like you said, I could see that as a realistic number, 37% from three, I think is a totally realistic number for RJ. Um, even like, you know, 79% from the free throw line or something like that. Like I could see him finishing the year at 37% from three, 79% from the free throw line. And that would be a tremendous improvement and that would be great. And I would love RJ here and I would love his impact. I think his impact would be great, especially on the defensive end, uh, including the defensive end. But I don't think that would be good for the Knicks. Like if they're, if these guys, the rest of the guys are playing the way that they are Brunson and Randall um, and even to a lesser extent, like Josh Hart um, and DiVincenzo. And that wouldn't be, that wouldn't be a good scenario for the team. So that's kind of what I'm just trying to like temper the, the, the exuberance or like in my mind, at least I, I like feel like tempering the exuberance because um, it's just troubling. It's just troubling if, 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 if that's the improvement that we'll see. I think that's great for RJ and for the team, but I don't think it's a good sign if we're so dependent on this level that he's been playing at. Yeah, I think one thing that you might be underrating a bit is the human element of it. And I do think that it could be good that RJ is experiencing the positive side of variance early because for better well, I don't think it's for worse, but some people might. For better or for worse, RJ is ingraining himself as one of the most valuable players on the team. If not, I mean, so far he's been the most valuable player on the team. And if that's the that's the nature of things, it forces the Knicks to ingrain him into the offense and into the system in a way that could be beneficial for him. Because I believe in things like rhythm. I believe in things like confidence and consistency. And in my opinion, even if RJ comes back down to earth as a shooter, which he will, um, like you just said, it would be pretty unbelievable if he just shot 50% from three for the entire season. I mean, it would be amazing, but it would be, it would be unprecedented. 
I think that with, yeah, yeah, I, I think that I think that with how he's playing right now and how he's sh- sh- impacting the game, just the overall impact. I think that he's basically locked himself into thirty to thirty-five minutes a night, and I think that he's there. Just are going to be fewer stretches where he disappears from the offense. And from a personal growth standpoint, I think that we're. I think there's going to be trade-offs to his regression. Like I think you're thinking too robotically. I think you're basically thinking like, oh, like this output is going to remain the same as this output regresses. But I think that assuming his role remains the same and his importance to the team remains the same, when we see the regression from the three-point shooting happen, I think we're going to see positive regression in other shooting areas inside the arc. And I think that we're going to see him react in a human way to not be like, I think right now, you know, you quoted the passing on drives and assist percentage and stuff like that. It wouldn't surprise me at all. If those things go up when the shots stop falling, because I think it's a natural, I think it's a natural development as a human being to be like, Oh, shots aren't going as much. Okay. I'm going to start looking for guys. Like I think that's, and I think the RJ Barrett we saw last season, who some people are going to say, oh, well, shots weren't falling last season. Why wasn't he passing as much then? My answer would be he was very firmly the third option. He didn't have consistency of touches. He didn't have consistency of role. And he is a born scorer. That's what he's been his entire life. So when he got his touches last season, he would say, okay, I'm going to score because that's what I'm going to do. I don't know when the next, my next touch is going to be. My first instinct is going to be a score. With an ingrained RJ into the system, with the full backing of support from his head coach to the team, with them saying, you're the guy, you're number one, number two, consistently, it doesn't matter how you shoot. I think we're going to see natural progression in other areas, even when the shot, when the shot stops falling to the rate that it is now or at the rate that it is now. Yeah, I, I think those are tremendous points, and I don't have any pushback to them. I think I think those are great points. And I I will say I don't think that I'm necessarily, like, underrating those aspects. I think that I'm acknowledging that I don't have the ability to project how those will play out. Like, I think that this, it's too, like, wishy-washy to me it's a too yeah it's too intangible um it's it's not i i can't say okay well this is going to happen and this is going to cause this other thing to happen and this is going to cause this other thing to happen and this is what's going to happen like i don't feel like i'm in a position to be able to say that i can say i could i could see everything what you what you just said i could see absolutely unraveling in that way now what would I benchmark it as like the percentage chance or the probability things go that way? I don't really, I can't, I can't give you insight there because I don't like, I don't know RJ. I don't know him like personally. I don't, I haven't seen him, you know, really react to adversity, like personally, how he takes things, like who his, the people are around him. Like, I, I just, I, I don't know. Like there's just so many factors to consider and uh, that's a black box for me. So I'm, I'm less willing to like make projections with regards to those factors at the same time. Like I said, I could totally see all of that playing out that way. And as a Knicks fan, I absolutely hope that they do. Right. So I, I hope that they do. And I, I've been 
neutral on RJ Barrett for his entire career. I've never been like, he's a bust. He's not good. He sucks or any of that. But I've also been objective about like, you know, the data and watching the games. He hasn't been like a hugely positive impact player um, for more than, you know, a few stretches of, of time across a, a few seasons. So, you know, we'll see. And all I'm saying is I expect. God, it's, I mean, his second season when he ran hot from three, that was a full season of positive impact, right? Because the the data um, liked his defense that season two, right? Uh, yes, it was positive. Yes, it was positive. It, it's like right. not he like. Was the third, he was the third most important player on that team until Mitch got hurt. And yeah, then he was yeah, the yeah. second most important player on that team. Right. And I, and I, it was positive. It's like in the bell curve, it's like, you know, within the first standard deviation of like positive, you know what I mean? Like, it's not that he, he wasn't a, a negative or even neutral player He's squarely on the positive side, but like, you know, a good player. Um, so anyway, yeah, I mean, what he's been so far is not a good player. It's been like an upper echelon, like, like we talked about, like top, potentially top 40 30 or 40 player in the NBA. So that's like, it's just like fundamentally different from, from that, what he was in that season, despite shooting uh, 40% for an entire season from three. So can you just, and then we'll wrap this up after this. Can you, does, is the entire difference in the 10% from three? What? From what? Because from what season to the, for, for that season? From his second season to this season. Oh, like you, uh, you just, I, you just, you just said you're, I feel like the whole basis of your point is how much of his leap is predicated on the shooting, which I think I agree with. No, because but, his, he, his scoring in other places was much worse that season. Right. So like, for instance, last year, no matter how, I mean, despite how bad some people think he was overall, like he shot 57% at the rim, which is not good. But in that second season, he shot 52% at the rim, you know, like, like, so even though he shot better from three, he was worse in other areas. So it kind of balanced out, it seems like to me. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I also think one reason it's just tough to get people to even try to have an open-minded conversation about these things is people just trust their eyes so much, you know? And I yeah. think even though it's not, it, it may not be captured by the pure objective output, it just seems so obvious that the RJ Barrett we're watching now is better than the RJ Barrett we were watching last season. Um, I will say so I think, real, real quick to that. I see that too. I don't trust my eyes. <laughs> I, I, right. I feel like I'm seeing that too, but I also feel like I'm seeing you, you see him come down and hit a three and then you have this feeling of like, wow, RJ's playing really positive offensive basketball and then he comes down and draw like I don't think people would have said or would have intuited the stats that I shared, right? Like if I said he's shooting ten percent lower on drives than he was last year, I don't think anybody would have like been in like, Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, I can tell. Like he for sure. He's not he's shooting like way worse than he was last year on drive. I don't think anybody would say that. I don't think anybody would say Oh, oh yeah. He's, he's passing his passing on drives is like literally the same as last year. I think people, if I were just to ask them, if I were to just say, Hey, don't look at the stats, I'm going to blind you to the stats. Is his passing, uh, you know, on drives the same or, or better or worse than last year? I think like 90% of people who watch the games would say it's, it's better. Like that's why I don't trust my eyes like that. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, but even there, when I've argued about RJ's improved passing on drives, I do agree that it does seem like he's passing more. But I think the reason that bias is created is because the variety of passes is more. I think that's what creates the bias because if he's, if more passes are available to him, that inherently makes him more valuable. If he can only make one or two passes, if he can only make the pocket pass and the cross course, cross court, one-handed pass that we've seen him make a million times, if that's it for him, then he's limited as a creator, as a, as a primary initiator. But I think we've seen a wider range of passes this year so I think that's where more reasonable people are coming from when they talk about his improved ability on the drive, uh, passing on the drives, because they've seen a variety in his, for lack of a better word or phrase, passing bag. <laughs> yeah, and that's totally fair. And I, again, I would say just watching the games, I believe I'm seeing the same thing. Um, but I, I, I just... I think the whole point of using data is to offset potential biases that we might have in terms of what we're watching and how, how we feel about what we're watching. And to me, like the emotional reaction to what we're watching creates the bias as well as the actual output that we're seeing. So I might feel really good about how RJ is playing and then try to reverse like, oh, why why do I feel really good about how RJ is playing? Like, it seems like he's passing like, he has such a wider variety of passes. Like if I saw that quantified in terms of like in some way, like there's not going to be data for this, but if I saw that quantified and it like substantiated that view that I, that I believe that I was seeing, that would make me feel a lot stronger in it. And so that's why I need greater and greater sample size um, in order to feel comfortable and confident in like what I believe my eyes are showing me. I will say to anyone who's made it to the end here, when XJ says he doesn't trust his eyes for 90% of higher than 90, that's the right way to exist objectively. Like for any, anything, not even sports, I highly recommend more people not, not trust their eyes, but not weigh their preconceived notions and their biases. Like you don't want to, I mean, this is going to sound so nerdy, but the, the scientific method exists for the scientific formula, excuse me, exists for a reason. And there's a reason that drawing conclusions is supposed to come after the research. Like you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to have your mind made up about things. You're supposed to, the data is supposed to be what puts you over the top. With that being said, when it comes to basketball, I think the optimal way is some combination of eye test and data. And I think that the most reasonable and smartest basketball fans are the ones who can do that, are the ones who know that their eye test isn't the end-all, be-all, but have eyes good enough to lead them in certain directions that the data can kind of complete. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a little pedantic here. And just when you say eye test, um, I don't think – I don't think it's great to use like eye test with regard to like, I watched the game last night and then this is my assessment of it. I think it's more like film study than eye test, right? Like if you watch plays and you dissect them and you see everything that's going on, how that the play, like see what's happening with the ball, but see what's happening off the ball. You have to like, for instance, I love how 
damn, this is a really long episode. I love how, um, you know, um, PFF does their analysis of football players because what they do is like they literally will just like watch a single player on a play like they'll just they will just look at that player and see what they do and see their impact whether they're getting the ball or not like let's say they're a receiver they'll look at the routes that they ran even if they don't get the ball they look at the the blocking they look at how this receiver was blocking and run um, run blocking and, and and run protection or pass protection if they're if they're protecting a quarterback they look at all these things that are happening that we're just watching the game we're not like, oh, look, Jalen Waddle like was you know did a gr- had a great block as he was you know going out for his route or, or interfered with the, the the defensive back as he was going out of his route in a subtle way that got Tyreek open. Like we're not looking at that. You you don't you can't perceive all of that just by watching the game. You have to look back at film and you have to see all of the minutia that is happening. I don't think you can just perceive that. No one's watching a game and can perceive all 10 guys on the court at one time and like everything that's happening. So I, I, I don't believe in eye test even insofar as like I watched a game and I had this assessment. I looked at the data and I put those two together. Like, I think you have to be someone who's like, you know, studying film, so to speak, you know, like that, that's kind of what I think. Yeah, I agree. And I think the funniest thing about that is that all of the eye test guys who always shit on analytics are always like, oh, we got another spreadsheet watcher. Like they always say that. And it's like, oh, you don't watch the game on a computer. And it's like genuine question for those people. Do they think that the people who take the time to research and study and learn about the advanced analytics of a game that will never have anything to do with do, do they think that those people don't watch the games do, do they think like i it's one of the, like I, I it's just so confusing to me because i would bet that i have watched as many nba games as 99% of people more or as many nba games as 99% of people who aren't paid to do so in the last you know 5 10 years and so that's always the most confusing thing to me is like it's always and we've talked about this off air it's always so befuddling to me that the most ignorant are the most confident you know like there is such a strong correlation between certainty in your preconceived notions and ignorance and they always say the same things they just always say stuff like that and i'm just like i can't help that person so there's no point like this is where (laughs) you and you you and i you and i are completely different you know you're talking about how you get into it sometimes with people in Twitter threads or YouTube comments. Like I gotta be honest, dude, 90% of the posts I make when I make the post, I mute them and I don't go back to them. I've said my piece and I don't, and it's not because like it sucks because there are so many people out there. Like, I don't know. It would, it would bum me out if I had never met you or never like talked to you because I have such high respect for what you have to say. And like, if you say something, I'm like, okay, like I have to make sure that I'm thinking and like, I'm, understanding what you're saying and there's so many other people like that there's so many intelligent people but i've just found that if i let the myself even trickle down the rabbit hole of reading what other people have to say i just i could go on forever battling with people who will never ever respect what i have to say never have an open mind it's just pointless to me so i just mute the thread and i just move on with my life and that's just it's sad that i have to do it but that's what i do 
I I fully hear that, and I feel that way a lot of the time as well. Um, you know, I I I hope that for every nine people who aren't who are kind of closed off to a different perspective that maybe informed more by data or informed more by like in my case, you know, I I work as a researcher and a behavioral scientist, so like that's a lot of my views are are based in knowing the extent of of and the role that bias plays in our just perception of everyday life as well as the role that noise can play and the difference between bias and noise with with regard to bias being consistently um perceiving things in a incorrect or inaccurate way and noise being <laughs> perceiving things in different ways in different situations without like a consistency but still being inaccurate so i'm just like aware of those factors and i think that that is why i when i say and i'm glad that you pointed this out when i say i don't trust my eyes it doesn't mean like i don't know ball or you'll say well yeah of course he doesn't trust his eyes he doesn't know ball like that's not what that means at all it means that I'm aware of the shortcomings of my ability to perceive everything that's happening on the court all at the same time, just by watching a game a single time. And to me, that's just a personal awareness that I think if more people had, I think they would kind of be more open to other things that they may not be like perceiving or being aware of, or maybe be revealed in the data or oversights that they could be having or biases that they could be experiencing with regard to their uh, analysis of a, of a game or of a player or of anything really in life. Um, so yeah, I, 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 that's, that's how, where my perspective is. And I just hope that, you know, like I said, for every nine people who are not open-minded to it, maybe one will be, and they may, you know, not change, but add to how they view the game and, and could add some color or texture, you know, to, to what they're already perceiving as they, as they view the and analyze basketball. It just kind of bums me out because basketball is so meaningless, but people are like this with real issues, you know? Yeah. It's worse. Like it's even, worse when it comes to real, real right, issues. Yeah. Probably even stronger. And it's yeah. like, it would be so easy and so much better if people weren't so certain that they were right when 99% don't really have a clue. And it's just, I don't know. I'm not even saying I have a clue. I definitely don't, but I do think that I'm ahead in that I'm aware. And like, I would never have a conversation with somebody and be like, I know I'm right. So I don't even have to listen to what you have to say. And it's just, yeah. And then you, and then you throw the, the the spreadsheet watcher onto onto (laughs) gasoline onto the fire and it's like jesus christ man it's so frustrating i can't that that. one every single time i see it i just like i want to i don't know i want to do something it's hilarious (laughs) it's like anyone who like i'm sure like you said you watch more basketball than like 99 percent of people who are not like you're you're kind of paid to watch basketball but you know like professionally doing something in basketball is like i i mean first of all i would say it's for you, it's probably greater than 99%. It's like 99.9% because um, you watch even more basketball than I do. And But I'm sure that literally anybody who said, called me a spreadsheet watcher, I watch more basketball than they do. I don't think there's a 100%. single person it's, it's who's a, ever said that to me that I don't watch more basketball than they do. <laughs> so there's, a, there's a 100% chance. It's not even close. Like you, like you, Especially if it's on Nick's Twitter. Like Yeah. I think you're already ahead if you only count Knicks games. I'd be surprised if those people yeah. watch 100% of Knicks games, you know? And it's like, totally. oh my God. 
Yeah. Well, uh, we need to wrap up. This has been a marathon episode, but a really fun conversation. If you're still with us, if you're still with us at this point, I love you. Like literally, I will, I don't know, send me a message on Twitter if you're listening to this part or send me a, you know, write a YouTube comment and I will like give you something because that's amazing. And I'm, I was going to, I was, I was going to say, I was going to say, we should come up with a code right now, just on the fly, (laughs) just somebody, anybody for the next week. If you, if you DM me or XJ, both of our direct messages are open. I don't know. Come up with a word. What's, what's, what's the theme of this episode? I'm blanking. It's so late, right? I'm blanking. It's so uh, late right now. I don't know. We talked. Oh, about I got it. I got it. DM, DM me or XJ spreadsheet. That's it. One word spreadsheet. <laughs> and we will, we will Venmo you 10 bucks. Legitimately. If you made it through this whole episode. Yeah, seriously. I co-sign if it's, that. If it's, if it's one person, we'll just Venmo you 10 bucks. If it's multiple people, I don't know. We'll do a raffle or something. But yeah, we'll figure it any, out. Anybody who've, who the cutoff <laughs> is... When do you go on vacation, actually? I go uh, on Wednesday, the 15th. So it's going to be tomorrow from, uh, okay. from the point that this is dropping. All right. So you have 24 hours, folks. Anybody who anybody yeah. who Venmo's XJ or I, the word spreadsheet, is eligible to win $10. Us, right? $10. Yeah. yeah. So, and we love you, whether you did or didn't reach the end. <laughs> I love that. We need to start adding... Uh, clues for for money throughout that just different points in the pod <laughs> next several episodes maybe not always at the end so people don't just fast forward to the end it could be like right in the middle who knows where it's going to turn up but we're going to financially incentivize you to, to consume this content <laughs> um <laughs> uh no this has been super fun this has been hot hand theory um yeah i love these kinds of conversations this is why jeff and i wanted to start the pod so hopefully you know you all are enjoying it as well and we will see you next time